Is there a country today that is more evil than China? The dictatorial model in which it runs squashes individual liberty. It kills dissenters. It tortures the innocent. It hides global viruses. It tracks you any place you go, everything you post, every thought you can think. It is the opposite of our freedom-loving nation. So then why? Why do some of our most powerful elites seem to worship the ground on which G walks? Tonight, along with Peter Schweizer, investigative journalist and author of the new book, Red Handed, I head to the chalkboard to show you exactly who is profiting from China's communist repressive regime. Because it's not just Hunter and Joe. It's rich, powerful elites in every sector of our society. Tonight, sleeping with the enemy, exposing the secret deals between Biden and communist China. Hello, America. Tonight is all about American corruption hand in hand with China. As you will see, even if business deals between American elites and China are technically legal, they are almost always corrupt because how intertwined the Chinese side is to Communist Party leadership, Chinese intelligence, their military, and it gets even spookier from there. There is probably no one in America more qualified to discuss corruption than best-selling author and journalist Peter Schweizer. Few people, if any, have done more research than Peter on this topic. He first broke the story of the Biden special deals in China in his book, Secret Empires. Still, nobody talks about that. They're profoundly important because Biden's now the president of the United States. He's just put out a new book, came out today, Red Handed, How American Elites Are Getting Rich helping China win. It's out right now. I urge you to get it and read it. He calls, uh, he calls the balls and the strikes. And he also says it is probably, actually to quote him, without a doubt, the most troubling book he has ever written. And tonight you'll understand why. At the end of the episode, there's some really important things that you can do to turn the tide on this because it's going to take local people, uh, not Washington. It will take states and people gathering in their own communities to stop this, but you need to know um, who's on your side, who's on the side of American principles and ideals, and what do they have to gain by selling their country out? Peter, welcome. Great to be with you, Glenn, as always. We have had a great day just sitting yeah. back and talking about, about this, and I am struck by these are the same players and many of the same goals as the Great Reset. Yeah, there's a big crossover. I mean, you're talking about the most powerful people in Silicon Valley, on Wall Street, and in Washington, D.C., and there is this common thread. I mean, obviously, there's the money, and we're going to talk about the money tonight, uh, but there's this sort of worldview among many of the elites that want a sort of top-down system. Uh, that's the kind of system China, of course, has. Mm -hmm. And what we'll be talking about tonight is not just the fact that these elites are getting financial deals, but they actually praise the 
the Chinese regime for its... And they mean it. They mean it, absolutely, for its efficiency. And Uh, that's the same argument that is made when it comes to issues like the Great Reset. But the Great Reset, these same people say the Great Reset is being done so they can defeat China. (laughs) (laughs) But China is paying for a lot of it. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. You know, the, the big debate has always been, the big claim has always been when we engage China... China's going to become more like us. They're going to listen to our music, our blue jeans. They're going to become like Thomas Jefferson. They haven't become more like us. We, in a lot of ways, have become more like China. And we're rolling down that hill to be an exact duplicate of China quicker than I think anyone could possibly imagine. So help me out, because the Great Reset is clearly a 21st century fascistic authoritarian rule okay yeah. um china is communist right but they have so much of this private public partnership that is fascistic yes so what are they technically it's a great question um i would not say that they are a marxist leninist country i would say they're a leninist country the point being that of course karl marx didn't want private corporations he didn't want small shops right, right. he wanted all state-owned they've given up on that part What they've done is they've harnessed that power. And, of course, the government is led by this dictatorship of the proletariat that Lenin talked about. That's the heart and soul of China. It's the Chinese Communist Party. And it's a good reason for us always, you and I talked about this earlier, to remind ourselves the problem is not the Chinese people. It's this dictatorial regime. The Communist Party has about 100 million members. That's a, a lot. lot. That's, you know, a less, third of us. Yeah, a third of us, less than 10 percent of the Chinese population. But they are exactly what Vladimir Lenin wanted them to be, an elite dictatorship that is supposedly carrying out these policies in the name of the people. Uh-huh. OK, so <laughs> I have three chalkboards we have to get to. So mm-hmm. we want to we want to answer um, why these people are involved, what China gets out of it, what do they get out of it? And the the. In your book, you talk about the elite capture of our elites. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's the actual term they have, elite elite capture, right? Yes. Chinese intelligence uses that term. And if you think about it, Glenn, it's it's kind of brilliant. Because what they mean by elite capture is we don't want to go head to head with the United States. You've got this dynamic economy, you've got these cultural influences around the world. So we're instead going to effectively lobotomize you. We're going to buy off the leadership, the elite in your country, so they don't perceive the China threat, they don't want to respond to the China threat. So elite capture is what this is about. It's in the realm of big tech, it's in the realm of Wall Street, and certainly in the realm of Washington, So let's talk about big tech. The Chinese goal is they want big tech, they want the mines, the elites. Yes. Um, to help them with military and and information, right? Yes. Um, the U.S. elites, they want the metadata because that helps with AI. And they like the fact that Chinese, the Chinese don't really have the ethics that we do. Yeah, they don't they don't really have as many qualms, let's say, yeah. about using data and using AI for the repression of domestic populations okay. or for the expansion Brainwashing, of the, all of that. Absolutely. Right. They, they, they think that is a reasonable use of artificial intelligence. So, right. you know, a lot of people wonder, like, you know, Bill Gates, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, these guys are worth 
hundred billion dollars or more. So people often wonder, is it really about the money? And I think money's part of it, but the bigger component is this sort of attraction that they have to the dictatorship of China. Now, I'm not saying that Bill Gates is himself necessarily a dictator, but he likes the efficiencies of, of a dictatorship. I mean, system. you look at Common Core. That's what Common Core was all about. Yes. Fixing it, education to get them into the workforce faster. Yes, okay? that's exactly It's all right. about efficiency. Yes. So give me the highlight. Give me the worst of the worst here. Okay. These are the people who are all involved. And yes. I'm surprised to see Elon Musk. Yes. Because he's really kind of a libertarian. Yes, he is in a lot of things he says, and he's really changed. But if we begin in the 1990s, that's really when this, this big fusion begins between big tech and China. You have to begin with Microsoft and Bill Gates. And if you go through the history, you find that Bill Gates, really from the beginning, has ba- been making apologies for China when it comes to censorship. He would tell them, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to censor the Internet. No one can censor the Internet. And of course, within a year, China had done exactly that. He wanted so much access to the Chinese market uh, that he actually agreed with China to say, buy my software for your government and I will promise to ship engineering jobs to China. Holy cow. That was the beginning of it. And when he didn't keep up with that as much as China wanted, they pressed for more. But it gets worse. Uh, Microsoft itself today is sponsoring research in artificial intelligence in China at laboratories that are known, known, Glenn, to be tied to the Chinese military. Now, why Art- is it? Yeah, go because ahead. artificial intelligence, um, Putin has said this, every smart individual on the planet knows whoever gets it first wins. Yes. Wins. Wins yes. everything. The yes. whole ball of wax. Yes. That we are helping this repressive regime in AI is terrifying. It, it, it should be terrifying because Microsoft has some of the brightest minds in, in, in the world. And instead of helping us, they're helping our rival. And by the way, President Xi has said that whoever wins the AI race wins. will seize the commanding heights yes. in the competition between Correct. countries. Um, Cisco, Google, Google's doing the same thing. Right? Exactly. Google is sponsoring two labs in China that are focused on artificial intelligence. And they won't work with us. And they won't work with us. The 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 people that work at uh, Google have said we're uncomfortable working with a Pentagon. But, and yet. But they know that all of the technology that they have is going with China guaranteed. Yes. It's baked into the deal. You're required by law in China because of civilian military fusion. Any work that's being done by a civilian entity. And of course, these labs are not. But even if it's ostensibly a civilian entity, you're required by Chinese law to share your technology with the military or you'll be thrown in jail. I've talked to people in Washington who tell me, no, don't worry, China's behind us. <laughs> right? It's hard, it's hard to know because, of okay. course, China's not as open and as transparent as okay. we are. Um, quickly, I, I mean, let's just hit quickly Tesla and then Reid Hoffman from LinkedIn, because this this is amazing to me. Yeah, so Tesla is interesting. Elon Musk has been critical of China a lot until they built him a factory, and until uh, the factory in China became the central component of where Tesla's going in the future. And what's happened is, is that he's changed his tune. He now speaks favorably about Beijing. There's actually a podcast where he describes how the Chinese dictatorship is more responsive to the needs of its population than the U.S. representative government. The ethics part, right? That's the ethics part. They'll do anything, you know, for the collective, screw the little people, and 
um, you know, you can get things done when you don't care who, you know, yeah, dies. Break, break a few eggs. As Quickly, Reed Hoffman. Reed Hoffman, uh, interesting, criticized Donald Trump as a dictator, and that's why he gave millions of dollars to the Biden campaign. He actually uh, sold LinkedIn uh, to Microsoft. He entered the market in China, uh, and he has become an apologist for the Chinese government. The Chinese government holds the World Internet Conference every year. Nobody in the West goes to it. It's like Russia. It's Russia. It's Kazakhstan. It's all these Belarus shows up. Yeah. It's all these oppressive regimes. And the conference is largely about how to control the Internet. Reid Hoffman has been a keynote speaker there, I think, more than anybody. Uh, So it's it's a it's a strange situation for a guy who's concerned about the dictatorship, so-called of Trump. So these are the creators. These are the tech creators. This is really, really an important thing for you to understand, because this is our future. They pretty much all sold out to China and they're doing it for all kinds of reason. But mega uh, metadata and ethics and cash and the market. But next we're going to go to Wall Street. What is happening to Wall Street? That's the next place that China stopped. We'll do that in in just a minute. All right, we want to go to Wall Street. This is so amazing to me after doing a year and a half research on the Great Reset. These are all the same people and they have the same goals. Okay, but they're playing with China. Yes. So goal of the elite capture, they want Wall Street. They want it because they want access to our stock market, to our capital, to our banks and everything else Mm -hmm. to enrich themselves and not us. And Wall Street wants that money. But they also these big guys, they don't like all of the regulation in the hoops. You know, that they, they, they talk about the messiness of a republic. We just get things done in China. Right. Right. That's so tell me what they're doing. Yeah. So here are four examples of that. John Thornton was an executive of Goldman Sachs for a long time. Uh, and the key to the success of Goldman Sachs in China is they struck a bargain with the Chinese Communist Party. They said, we're going to teach you to set up corporations that maintain Communist Party control, but don't really have that appearance to the outsider. Uh, this was Why key. would someone in America do this? Money. Money. It got Goldman the biggest deals in Goldman Sachs. John Thornton today, by the way, he left Goldman Sachs. He today is the chairman of the Silk Road uh, company. Oh, my God. The Silk Road company is the financial arm of One Belt, One Road, China's effort to expand its influence around the world. So that's what John Thornton is doing today. Holy cow. We're going to come back to Goldman Sachs because after he did that, Joe Biden's son got something that these guys weren't even allowed to have. That's exactly right. Okay, we'll come back to that later. BlackRock, bad guys in the Great Reset. BlackRock says enormous uh, things about the need for us to, uh, you know, be socially responsible in our investing. The problem is this does not apply to China. Mm -hmm. So they've got major investments in China. And Larry Fink and BlackRock are very interesting and notorious because in 2017, the Chinese Communist Party went to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and said, we are going to reassert control over all the companies on the exchange and we are going to require that the Communist Party have control over what those companies do. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange said, well, the shareholders are going to have to vote in favor of this. 
Now, Vanguard, another big financial firm, said, no, we're voting against this. BlackRock voted in favor of it. And BlackRock helped to carry the day because they own so many shares they in Hong Kong. They are everywhere in this administration, and yes. their fingerprints are all over the Great Reset. That's a really bad group of people or the, uh, the company. And they're neck really deep with thing. Beijing. Neck deep with Beijing. Okay, Blackstone. Blackstone, you've got Stephen Schwartzman. This is a private equity firm. Stephen Schwartzman has done huge deals. His company is partly owned by a state-owned corporation in China. He, I Which think, is Communist Party. Exactly, which got is it. Communist Party. He's notorious because he set up something called the Schwartzman Scholars, where he's going to take people from around the world, including the United States, to go study at a university in China for a year. He put $100 million of his own money in, in it. He wants to bridge the gap between China and the United States. But, well, what, they're, but what are they learning <laughs> there, right? Good question, yeah. Glenn. Good question. The curriculum has been set by the Chinese Communist Party. We name the people in the book who are running it. The students from the United States who go there are required to take classes in Marxism-Leninism. And the sort of speakers at their commencement include... In one case, the guy who actually set up the company since time, which monitors Uyghurs. You know, the software that tells you, is this a Uyghur face or a Han Chinese face? That guy was the commencement speaker for the Schwarzman Scholars. So What's scary is all of these people are working with, they're, they are working with a company, and that company, they are some of the scariest people in China. It's not yeah. like... You know, I'm I'm a you know, I I was a party member, but low. I mean, it's top of the of the food chain of the guy who says, yeah, twist their fingers off until they until yes. they talk. Right. Yeah. And, and, and this is a great example. Exactly what you're talking about. Ray Dalio. He runs Bridgewater, largest hedge fund in the world. Uh, and does a lot of business in China. He wrote a book in 2017 called Principles, and he described Wang Qishan, who's the number two man in China, uh, as this quasi-religious figure, that he had helped Ray Dalio unfurl uh, un uh, some of the biggest secrets of the universe. And he described him as a remarkable force for good. And so, Glenn, I thought, well, who is this guy that Ray Dalio thinks is so great, Wang Qishan? And it turns out he is President Xi's enforcer. He's in responsible for Communist Party discipline, which means the guys that get disappeared, the guys that go to jail, the guys that get killed, the guys that get tortured. The, the Uyghurs? The Uyghurs. It is this man that Ray Dalio claims is this paragon of virtue. It should be said, by the way, after he wrote that a year later, Bridgewater became the first company in the Western world to be able to sell his products to the average person in China. And I think those events are not connected. So he or runs- They are connected, they, sorry, not they, a yes, coincidence. Yeah, exactly, it's not a coincidence. He runs interference for Beijing all the time, uh, saying that human rights are exaggerated, the problems are exaggerated, that uh, they, they have a paternalistic view of government, the way that a caring father would have a, a concern for their child. It's really deep level, in my mind, evil stuff. And do these people think that uh, that we're going to, I, I guess, um, that America is going to stand or do they care? I think that uh, the United States, they think the United States is going to merge, that, that we're going to become more like China. They used to say China was going to become more like us, but that hasn't happened. No, I, I've heard for at least 15 years, China's the model. Right. 
China's the model. Right. And this is the direction it's going. Uh, We talked about big tech. We've talked about Wall Street. In both cases, you have individuals like Bill Gates, for example, in the tech world, who praises uh, President Xi because he works so hard for the Chinese right, people. Right. Uh, you have people like Stephen Schwartzman saying that China is really misunderstood. And they're very much like the people involved are very much like the old Fabian socialists. You know, the old Fabian socialist window. Let's let's heat the world up so we can pound it into uh, something closer to our heart's desire. Yes. These these guys think especially the tech guys, that they're God. Yes, they do. There is an element that because they work in a space, you think about when you're setting up something like Facebook, you get to influence and control human relationships on that platform. That's a godlike quality. Uh, and what they see going on in China, to a certain extent, has appeal. Uh, one of the things I point out in the book is that Mark Zuckerberg has the chief propagandist for the Chinese Communist Party visit his headquarters. And he shares with him, Zuckerberg does, that he's got a copy of President Xi's speeches and written words on his cup. And he's shared that book with the leadership of Facebook because he wants the leadership of Facebook to understand socialism with Chinese characteristics. Truly bizarre, truly bizarre, but I really believe it's heartfelt. I don't think this is Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, you know, kissing just trying, up. Yeah, it's not just kissing up. It's something deeper and scarier than that. By the way, uh, they're also doing, we know they're doing the same kind of Nazi experiments on making the ultimate human as a fighting machine. Yes. That stuff is going on, and transhumanism is playing a role with all these guys. It's frightening. So now we go to the last goal, and that is grab the government, especially someone who might be president of the United States. We go there next. So far, nobody has clearly defined um, China as our enemy, right. but they are our enemy. Um, they're the enemy, I think, of all mankind, quite honestly, because of the way they, their human rights abuses. Um, and that's the only thing stopping you from stopping me from saying it's treason. It has to be providing aid and comfort to our enemy. Okay, so not technically our enemy. Is any of this technically illegal? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, I think that some of it uh, certainly borders on uh, aiding and abetting our enemy. Right. Um, and certainly there are restrictions on your ability to share technology and information that benefits a foreign military. And everything that you would share yes. benefits that. Yeah. Um, this would explain why General Milley called China and said, don't worry, we're not really going to launch any missiles, right? Yes. Did it on his own. Yes. Um, this, it, this is going to be pretty shocking. Uh, we're going to talk to you um, after we share all this about things you can do, because none of these people are going to clean it up. They're making way too much money. And I think they know they're selling their country out, right? Yes, I think they do. Okay. Capture elite politicians, including the president of the United States. That's the Chinese goal Mm -hmm. to decapitate American leadership. Pretty strong words, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. 
It is, because they basically don't want to go head-to-head with the United States. If they can neutralize our leadership, effectively lobotomize them, uh, they don't have to worry about the United States standing in their way. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, This is... All of this is from the Hunter Biden laptop or some of this? Some of it is. Some of it's from Hong Kong financial records. Some of it's from corporate records in China, from court cases in the United States. And I think the biggest concern here, Glenn, is when you look at the president of the United States, Joe Biden, it's not just that his family has done deals in China. It's who made those deals happen. You and I talked about this in 2018 when we first disclosed that the Bidens had commercial ties in China. What we now know because of the Hunter Biden laptop and because of emails that have been provided to us from one of Hunter's former business partners, we now know who made those deals happen in China. Or as my kids would say, who made it rain, right? Mm -hmm. Who made the money rain? And what you find is that Every single individual in China that helped hook up the Bidens to some $31 million has links to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. So, Peter, what you're saying is like me coming back out in 1982 Mm -hmm. and saying, um, you know, uh, Ron Jr., Ronald Mm -hmm. Reagan Jr., is over with the Soviets and he's making deals with people who run state businesses but also are the head of the KGB. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely analogous. The only difference being, as you said, there's not this perception by some people in Washington that China's an enemy the way the Soviet but Union was. But still, when you're talking about political, I mean, we're not talking now about business and tech. Right. We're talking about people whose job it is to protect and defend Absolutely. the United States of America. Yes, right? and, and this is where you start to get the, to the question of, are these people compromised? Um, is there uh, activity that is illegal? Of course they are. Yes, there's no way in my mind, it's not conceivable that Joe Biden and his family are not compromised by Beijing. This was clearly a concentrated effort to capture them, elite capture the Biden family. So you look at some of the people on this board, Che Feng in the lower right-hand corner. He helped set up a deal for Hunter Biden that netted Hunter Biden some $20 million, put him on a financial company that was financed by the Chinese government. Che Feng happened to to make that happen. Uh, In the emails, Hunter Biden refers to him as the super chairman. That's his nickname. And in one of the emails, he says, I don't believe in the lottery anymore, but I believe in the super chairman. So who is Che Feng that's making this happen for Hunter Biden? At the same time that he's helping Hunter Biden, he is business partners with the vice minister of state security in China. This is their intelligence apparatus. It's like our CIA? It's like our CIA, our FBI, the Soviet KGB. This is the entity that runs the gulag in China. They control everything. It's the beating heart of the intelligence state in China. And Che Feng's business partner, who's the vice minister, is responsible for the recruitment of foreigners to spy on behalf of China. This is crazy. This is like if NBC were getting into bed with Goebbels. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's, but it gets worse in a way because another person, uh, Henry Zhao, in the upper right hand corner there, um, he also helps Hunter Biden in this deal for 20 million dollars. He also separately wires five million dollars to a different Hunter Biden business uh, called Burnham. So Henry Zhao is helping uh, Hunter Biden, and I report on some of the emails, his exchange with Hunter in the book. 
But who is uh, Henry Zhao's business partner when he's making it happen for Hunter Biden? His business partner is the daughter, the family of the former minister of state security who ran the entire spy apparatus. In fact, the five million dollars that's sent to Hunter Biden's business is sent from the entity that the daughter of the former minister of state security helped to found. So. The guy who ran it, who was replaced eventually by this guy's business partner. Well, there, yeah, one of them was the minister of state security. This guy became the vice minister. Vice so, minister, okay. Yeah, the vice minister, oh, okay. yes. But still, the very top level. Right. These are the top Perfect. level officials in China. Okay, and so then, two different business, three different business deals between these guys, yes, right? Yes, yes. Okay, yes. all right. Then I'm you, afraid to ask who everybody else is. <laughs> so then you have Michael Lin. Uh, he's an individual who was involved in that private equity deal as well. Uh, we talk about in the book about some of the ties that he has. He worked for a previous investment fund that has been linked to Chinese intelligence. And he is all over the Hunter Biden laptop. And then in the lower left-hand corner, you have Yi, uh, called Chairman Yi, by Hunter Biden, uh, he transfers some $6 million uh, to the Biden family. So we wondered, who is Yi? What did he do before he founded this company, CEFC? By the way, that company was initially started by officers that were part of the People's Liberation Army general staff. Oh, my gosh. So Yi, before he got involved in this company, worked for an entity that was financed. This has been reported by government authorities in the United States, financed by Chinese military intelligence. So, Glenn, everywhere you look, every known deal that the Bidens got in China, some $31 million, there may be more, every single one of them was done by an, an individual with ties to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. And Chinese intelligence wants what from Hunter Biden? Great question. Great question. A lot of people think that what China wants is, you know, politicians to be in lockstep. They want Joe Biden to sort of be this robot. They don't want that because they know that's not viable. They want these guys to rise and be successful. So the strategy they employ, loosely translated to English, is big help with a little bad mouth. And what they mean is we've got a few things that are really important to us, you politicians. One is we want unfettered access to your financial markets. And tech. And tech, exactly. And as long as you don't interfere in those, if you want to pop off about the Uyghurs, if you want to criticize us for human rights, if you want to have a quote-unquote diplomatic boycott of the Olympics, we're fine with that. That doesn't bother us. And that is exactly what Joe Biden has delivered in his presidency. But they're, he's, they're not alone. I mean, right. this is the commander in chief. And we should question everything that he does in and around China the Great Reset, everything because of this. Absolutely. Okay. And, and just to make it clear, too, Hunter Biden collected the money. We now know from the laptop that Hunter Biden was paying his father's bills with the foreign money. He was totally buying. legal. Yeah. It, and, and, and nobody has anyone reported on this. No, no, no one. No one has reported on no this. One. And the fact that it, it comes from these foreign sources. So the point is, is Joe Biden is a beneficiary of the foreign money that has flowed into the family. This is not a Hunter Biden problem. This is a Biden family problem, including Joe Biden. And they're not covering it because you have like ABC Disney, which wants to open more parks. Yep. You have all of that. Yes. NBC Universal. Yes. Okay. The, the, he's not alone. 
Everybody's doing it, which is why the answer cannot come from Congress. Right. It's Mitch McConnell, Dianne Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi. They're all in it, plus 20 other senators and congressmen. Yes, that's right. So you have Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate. You this would, is shameful. You would think, OK, simply for partisan reasons, he would want to talk about the Biden's relationship with China. The problem is his family has their own ties to China that are troubling. Mitch McConnell, of course, is married to Elaine Chao, who is the transportation secretary in the Trump administration, and her family owns a shipping company called Foremost. Mitch and Elaine got married in the early 1990s. One of the first things Mitch McConnell did was go with his father-in-law, James Chao, who's revered in China. He went and visited the Chinese State Shipbuilding Corporation, and they basically set up a deal. And that deal remains into effect today. And it means that this small shipping company, Foremost, has grown into this massive shipping company. And the reason is, Glenn, because Mitch McConnell's and the McConnell Chow family business, their shipping business, all the large, massive ships that are taking goods around the Pacific for the Foremost group are built by the Chinese State Shipbuilding Corporation. The financing of the construction of these ships, these are hundreds of millions of dollars to have these ships built. That financing is all arranged by Chinese state banks. The crews that man these ships, many of them are Chinese nationals who are arranged and hired by the Chinese state. And finally, the goods that they ship around on these big, massive uh, bulk uh, container vessels uh, are largely products and goods from Chinese state-owned companies. So Mitch McConnell's family business is highly reliant on their good favor with Beijing. And if Mitch McConnell were to take action to upset them, China, Beijing could destroy the family business overnight. Diane, Nancy. Diane Feinstein, a senator from California, chairman at one point of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, her husband, Richard Blum, has done hundreds of millions of dollars in deals while she was a senator with Chinese state-owned entities. In many cases, he got the first deal of its kind with these Chinese government entities. And the reason is that Diane Feinstein and her husband have a lot of close relationships with the Beijing leadership. And to show you the kind of national security implications of what we're talking about, Glenn, one of the investments that Dianne Feinstein's husband um, had was in a Chinese computer company called Legend. It later became Lenovo. A lot of people may be familiar with that. While she was chairwoman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, her husband partly owned Legend, which sold computers to the United States Marine Corps that the Marine Corps later reported were oh completely bugged, oh were completely gosh. bugged. That's the nature of how these things kind of coalesce. This makes what the Clintons did back in the 90s of selling a supercomputer? Yes. Nothing. Yes. Nothing. Is it's, that what started this, really, the Clintons with the computer? Is that kind of... I think a lot of it was happening in the 90s because China was opening up. Okay. So Goldman Sachs, we talked about them right, on right, Wall right. Street. That's when they entered that market. That's when Microsoft entered the market. So, yes, all three of these institutions we've talked about, politicians, big tech, Silicon Valley, and Wall Street, it all started happening in the 1990s. Tell me about Nancy Pelosi. So Nancy Pelosi used to be very critical of the Beijing regime. In fact, in the early 90s, she went to China and unfurled a banner on Tiananmen Square, calling them out for human rights. The police showed up, took the banner away. 
That changed, however, in the late 2000s, um, and it changed because her husband started making major investments in mainland China. He became an investor partner in a fund that had billions of dollars. He had at least a $10 million stake in that entity. Uh, at the same time, Nancy Pelosi's son, Paul Pelosi Jr., mm. started getting involved in businesses in mainland China. And you can chart it kind of, Glenn, the shift in a single event. Remember in 2008, the Beijing Olympics, when they held the mm -hmm. Summer Olympics back then? Nancy Pelosi initially favored a boycott of those Olympics. Then something happened. Her husband, who co-owned a couple of limousine companies, got contracts to ferry VIPs around for the Beijing Olympics. This contract, of course, was arranged by the Chinese government. She literally changed her position and said, I no longer favor a boycott. And that was kind of the pivot point for Nancy Pelosi. That really, that's terrifying to me because that's like, Martha Stewart going to jail for 60, what was it, 60 grand? Yes. You're selling out your country for a limousine contract for a couple of weeks? Yeah. So Nancy Pelosi will criticize China for human rights, but she will say, ultimately, we have to cooperate, we have to get along with China, so those are now lesser concerns. She says that, she just said that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. We know they're doing human rights abuses with the Uyghurs, but that's not important right now. We have to have good relations with them because of global warming. Exactly. This is the big help with a little bad mouth. And if she talks about the Uyghurs, they're, they're fine. Because when it comes to these issues of big tech, and by the way, the other thing to add to Nancy Pelosi is we had this thing happen, the COVID virus, right? Came mm -hmm. from China, happened in January of 2020. Nancy Pelosi has refused to allow a single hearing in the House of Representatives on the origins of the COVID virus. She does not even want that to be a discussion. Joe Biden has taken the same position in his administration. Um, that to me is shameful, and it's an indication to me of how much influence Beijing has over the United States. It's not just here, though. There's a fourth chalkboard that we, we didn't get to, and it's education. Yes. I mean, Beijing owns our universities. Uh, they do. Uh, they do in a lot of respects. They have these Confucian institutes that they set up. But more importantly than that, I talk about this in the book, you have hundreds of millions of dollars that are being donated to schools like Yale and Stanford and Harvard. And they're being given by these CCP-connected elites from mainland China. And the problem is, Glenn, that you're required under federal law if Yale gets a $10 million donation from a foreign national from China or anywhere else, they're required to report that to the Department of Education. Uh, they haven't done that. They haven't reported hundreds of millions of dollars in donations. And part of the way they do it is they will have an oligarch from China set up some entity in California. Sounds like something that Goldman Sachs might have taught them. Exactly, exactly. And they will claim the donation is from that entity. Well, we looked it up. It's not on their tax records. It did not come from that entity. It came from overseas. But they're trying to hide the fact that they're getting all this money. And there are often strings attached to these donations by these oligarchs. And it's shifting scholarship on college campuses. Uh, Yale is a prime example of that. There have been human rights activists that have gone to Yale to, to uh, study and report being ha harassed by students from mainland China, and the administration basically does nothing about it because they're getting so much money from mainland China. Uh, you know, just when you thought you couldn't get things, things couldn't be worse in America, 
Peter shows up. <laughs> um, but there, there are things that we can do to fight back and must do. We go there next. So as you, as you watch this, and then tomorrow I'm going to have James Lindsay on uh, the podcast, and he's gone over CRT, and it's a pretty terrifying message. You're, you get a little overwhelmed, Peter. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm not calling for the great reset, I'm, but I am calling for a reset. It's almost like we have to just, you know, did we turn it off and on yeah. and just reboot it? To its factory settings. Yes. But I don't know how anybody's going to clean this mess up. That Nobody is ever held responsible for anything anymore. Well, and I think part of it is a lot of us, I know I have, have, have sort of ceded parts of our responsibility, assuming that these people that are in charge were going to make the right decision and do the right thing. And I think that mindset has to end. I think the other thing that has to happen is people have to recognize that China represents a fundamental threat to the United States. It's not me saying it. China, China itself has said it. President Xi has said it. So we need to start thinking accordingly. Like when we're buying products, uh, if we're investing in the stock market, are we buying uh, assets in companies that is going to benefit the Chinese state? At the same time, I think we have to hold our elites into account. We not only have to worry about not buying Chinese products, we have to shame these people in a way that holds them into account for what they're doing. So one of the things I advocate in the book is you can buy a couple of shares of stock of Google, uh, for example, and you can show up at the shareholder meeting. And the CEO will be sitting there. It's usually a lot of people gather around. They'll have an open mic situation. You ought to go, people ought to go to those meetings and hold them into account for the things that they're saying and the things that they are doing. I think shame is still a powerful force when it comes to some of these things. Uh, and then finally, there's a series of things that can be done in Washington, D.C. Um, I think the idea that you've got... Hang on, before you start yeah. this, t just talk a little bit about your record. You have exposed things like this before and Washington changed. Yes. And they only changed because they were so shamed into doing it. It's not because they wanted to do it. Uh, I was uh, the one who exposed insider trading on the stock market by members of Congress. That led to the Stock Act, which is not a perfect bill. but hmm, was definitely happening again. Exactly. Because they, they went back later and, and sort of gutted parts of the bill. But at least now we get better disclosure than we used to get. It used to only be once a year. Now they have to do it uh, on a monthly basis, basically. Mm -hmm. So you can do it. But the only way you get there is by shaming them. And I think, for example, take a very simple principle. We've got, you know, 23 former members of Congress and U.S. senators who are lobbying on behalf of Chinese military and intelligence-linked companies in Washington, D.C. Not only have, not only the former congressmen or senators, some of them were former heads of the Department of Defense. Correct. You've got them. They're, they're, they're lobbying for these entities. To me, I believe that American citizens have a right to petition their government, which you could say is sure. lobbying. Chinese companies don't. That ought to be banned. That should be, in my mind, an issue that there's going to be very little disagreement on. So there's a very simple legislative reform that would help. It doesn't fix everything, but it starts to get to the rub. The other thing is our elected officials should not be holding any investments linked to China. Or their families. Absolutely. Or, or their, their families, because that's the way it has been happening. 
Hello, Nancy Pelosi. Um, all right. The name of the book is Red Handed. It is out. It's a must. Um, I think you're going to have a hard time keeping it in stock. Uh, and reprints, you'll run out of paper. Uh, <laughs> You've had that problem. I know. <laughs> it's very important that you read this. More on this on today's show radio and more on this uh, in the coming days. Peter Schweitzer, thank you. Thanks, Glenn. Back in a minute. In the last uh, few seconds here, Peter and I were just talking in the break. It's time to call China f what it is, like Reagan did with Russia. It's an evil empire. Absolutely. Evil empire. That is something that we need to all start saying. Not that it's different than us. Or it is an evil empire because none of these people will do it. Shame on them. We'll see you tomorrow on the radio for much more from Dallas. Good night, America.